1: i'm scott wapner and you're listening to cnbc's halftime report the podcast the most profitable hour of the trading day we record this live weekdays at 12 eastern listen in welcome to the halftime report i'm scott wapner front and center this hour stocks versus the economy and whether the great disconnect that's carried your money to new highs could soon run out of steam we'll debate your money's next move with our investment committee and joining me for the hour today are Josh Brown, Steve Weiss, Pete Najarian. Liz Young is BNY Mellon's director of market strategy and a CNBC contributor. And Degas Wright is the chief investment officer of Decatur Capital Management. Let's begin with the markets. The Dow pacing for its fourth straight day of lawsuits. It is barely, though, in the red. The S&P and Nasdaq, in fact, have gone positive. All of this coming now is jobless claims rising back above one million. The Fed voicing concerns of its own about the pace and the st- state of the recovery. Josh Brown, the the, the question today is how long, I think, how long can stocks continue to outrun the economy?
2: Well, I I would argue, Scott, that stocks have been outrunning the economy since 2009. Um, So we we clearly had an economic recovery that had been accelerated in recent years, the longer it went on, but hasn't even come close to what the top 10 percent of American households by wealth have enjoyed by virtue of being in, in stocks uh, and real estate as, as investments. So how long can that go on for? It's been going on for more than a decade. And if anything, you can make the argument that the pandemic uh, has done nothing other than accelerate that trend. And it's, it's, it's not a great thing to behold. So the stocks that continue to work, anything tech, almost anything tech, anything work from home, take a look at Zoom, new all-time high today. We're not even talking about it anymore. It's almost like it's a given. Um, And then you've got this contingent of companies that have adapted themselves to this new environment faster than others, and they're gigantic. It's Costco, it's Home Depot, uh, it's Walmart, it's Best Buy. Those continue to work. I was taking a look uh, at an interesting stat this morning. Um, While we're getting new highs in the S&P 500, only 6% of index components are also making new highs. So the windship. Is, um, is accruing to this, this top group of companies, and they're not all tech, uh, and, and if anything, that number continues to narrow. Yeah. So um, is a pullback in order because of that narrowing in breadth? You could make that argument, but then someone who's bullish would say, no, you don't understand. What's actually about to happen is the rest of the market is going to catch up as the economy reopens, well, that, and those
1: stocks will be less important. That's a good debate to have, because over half of the S&P, Liz Young, is negative year-to-date. Right. We have a very narrow move. At least we have. It's top heavy. It's been carried by up. You know, the the stocks we talk about every day. I think the question now needs to be discussed. Is it going to come home to roost? Is there a point where that just doesn't doesn't work anymore? Half the S&P negative year to date. Does that, that, that doesn't matter?
3: It sounds like, you know, that I'm the bullish one that's going to say the rest of the market can catch up here. But I want to go back to a point that Josh made in the very beginning. Let's split this up into two different pieces. The the rally in stocks that happened after 08, 09 outpaced maybe the economy, but it didn't outpace the Fed. It didn't outpace the support we were getting. If we look at this period now and assume that the stock market discounts things 12 to 18 months, months out into the future, then this is on track. We made a new high in the S&P on Tuesday which would suggest that this recovery is going to go on uninterrupted until we get back to previous levels of growth or output by about the middle of next year, which is what we believe is going to happen. In that theme, you do see other parts of the market that should come and pick up steam here and narrow the gap between themselves and big cap tech.
1: Steve Weiss, you've got targets for the S&P that continue to go higher, whether it's Tom Lee, who joined us last week at 3525. You got a couple targets of 3600. Can the stock market really continue to just outrun, as I say, the economy, right? The data continues to be, the data is just not good, right? The economy is not in a good place. It's just not. I don't care what anybody says, it's not. But yet the stock market has just hit a record high in the S&P this week. Yes.
4: And as I pointed out yesterday before the Fed minutes, I was concerned about a slowing economy And we've got a two-part economy. We've got the part that continues to do well, and those are the stocks that continue to do well. And then the other part that's more, I'd say, more involved in Main Street, uh, people that are more susceptible to job losses, reductions in pay, that continue to do poorly. And that's the value, alleged value segment of the market, and I don't really see value there. So the market does discount the economy 12 to 18 months in advance. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's discounting a positive economy 12 to 18 months in advance. It could very well be ahead of a negative economy, which is why we're seeing some weakness. Hey, you're, you're right
1: lightening now. up your positions, so, right? You, you have more cash, Steve, than you normally do. That that tells me that yeah. you subscribe to the belief that this can't go on forever the yeah. way it's gone on now.
4: Right. Well, Well, part of that is that I've lightened up on some... Uh, on a couple of tech positions because I do think there's pull forward. And while that's going to continue into this quarter, particularly as the Huawei deadline's out there on September 15th, where companies have to stop doing business, you'll see a lot of stockpiling, but the visibility into the fourth quarter is not going to be so great. So I think what the market's really discounting at this point is not a better economy necessarily. That's part of it. It's discounting a vaccine that's supposed to come out before the end of the year. And I think they'll be disappointed in that going forward. So next year, I don't see a blow away market. I think it's appropriately valued, but yet there are some values here. So... The reflection of my cash is not so much I'm turning bearish all of a sudden, it's that I'm rejiggering the portfolio, as I mentioned yesterday, going into clean energy, which I believe Biden's going to win. That's going to be a major investment theme. It has been already under the radar, even though those stocks are at 52-week highs. I bought another one today, Vestas Wind Systems. Guess what? They make windmills. So to me, it's more looking at things that are really extended, that can't live up to the promise going to other ones that I think will have additional promise that the market will move to.
2: Degas, we, we, I have a question for Steve on that. Yeah, I have a question go, for Steve go, go on ahead, that. Josh. You, what Josh. Wh- to, to what extent do you think a vaccine is already priced in? Because when I look at the winners and the losers column on a, on a weekly, on a monthly basis, it seems like the losers, the companies that are within 10% or, or 20% of, of year lows are the stocks that need the vaccine. And when I look at the winners... They're right. all companies that are going to do well regardless of when it arrives. So, um, you think market-wide we're pricing in a vaccine, or you're saying that's starting to happen? Because I see it as the opposite.
4: No, I, I'm, I, right. I, I'm saying that it's partially priced in, which is why the market is where it is. When a vac- I believe, and I've been consistent saying this, as we get closer to the date that the vaccine is supposed to materialize, which right now is December or in the first quarter, you'll see the market continue to move higher and we'll have a big pop in the market at that point. So we've only got, we've seen news come out on vaccines and every time it comes out, the market finds some support, reaches higher and finds support at that level. That's undeniable, that's happened with everything, with Pfizer, Moderna, J&J. So we're gonna continue to see that, but right now you're in phase three, don't expect any news on any of these until we get closer to the year end. And yes, we'll continue to trend up there. So bottom line, summing it up, some of it's priced in. We've seen that undeniably, but not the major part of it. Because that's why the airlines are still
1: where they are. Degas, we know why we're here, right? We've gotten this unprecedented stimulus from the Fed, and maybe we'll get more out of, out of D.C. Who knows? It's the don't fight the Fed. We get it, right? We talk about it all the time. But at some point, doesn't the economy have to carry some weight? This cannot just go on, can it, where you have this small number of mega cap technology stocks for all of the reasons we've discussed every day for the last four months, carry the load and, and just continue to do that. Don't you at some point have, have to have some sort of credible evidence that the economy is turning around?
5: Well, Scott, I think the, the main issue here is that we had a V recovery for the main point that you just mentioned the uh, monetary and fiscal policy added liquidity to the market. So we had a very quick V recovery. Obviously this market is completely disconnected from the economy. If you just look at the consumer sentiment index, the consumer sentiment index is down some uh, 20% trailing 12 months. And that measures the consumer's uh, financial health and also what the consumer thinks about the economy. So what we're seeing is that as long as we have this liquidity push, you're gonna have this market. Also, what leads our market is the technology stocks. In all our indexes, we have a overweight to technology, anywhere from 10% to 40% in the growth indices. And so that's what's really driving this market is the mega cap tech. And I don't think in our research, that that business model has changed. Those right. tech companies will continue to do well. So, so Pete, if that's the case, if, if Degas is right, then the, the question
1: that I lead our show with today doesn't matter. Because as long as that happens, what Degas says, that these stocks continue to lead, then the stock market's going to continue to go up and that the real economy doesn't matter to the performance of the stock market until it does, and who knows when that's going to be.
6: And and everything that we've been talking about for the entire year, 2020, has been everything in my world of the derivatives world has been extremely short term, Scott. And what that really tells me is, look, you can't look out too far into the future because we just don't know. Because right now we're we're trading on the will of what happens with the virus. And obviously everything tied into that, as well as the Fed and all of the stimulus, everything is tied into that. When are they going to give us the next set of a trillion dollars or more? That's going to go right back into the economy and people will be able to spend it. But I think the one thing, the over, overwhelming thing that I'm hearing listening to everybody is they're saying tech, tech, and a couple other names, but it's basically tech. I would argue this, the SMH has been very near highs, it set highs not too, too long ago. Biotech, very close to highs, set highs not too long ago. Healthcare, look at the XLV, most of those names performing very well home builders. So this is not as narrow as what I'm hearing right now. I think this is a much broader participation. Now, obviously the big five, the huge mega caps, absolutely, that's influencing this, the, everything, the S&P and in many cases in the Dow as well, and obviously the NASDAQ. But I think the reality is... We've got to face the facts that there are this is a very broad market in terms of the recovery. It's not just the four or five names. There's so much more to this than meets the eye. And I would also say to you, you still got the five trillion on the Uh, sidelines as well. So
1: breadth of the market, Pete, is the market breadth is not great. I mean, come on. We we know we know it's been a relatively small group of stocks um, and 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 heavily weighted ones that have carried the the load for the S&P. I mean, come on. Right? But Scott, Let's not I make it out to Scott, be like some big, broad, all-inclusive rally because it's not that.
6: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You're 100% wrong. Why is it then that you're looking at the XLV? Take a look at the healthcare index at highs, very close to its highs. You look at the IBB and the XBI. They both were very near highs. They were just at highs not too terribly long ago. The home builders. There's so many different parts of the market that are actually working, but nobody wants to acknowledge that because we focus every single day. Tesla. Apple, no, I don't know. Microsoft. Half, we just more than go half, that half the S and
1: More than half of the S and P is negative on the year. I mean, w- without, yes, without no, the, f- oh. the fangs and a few other things, we wouldn't be having this conversation because the stock market wouldn't be anywhere close to where it is now. You're, there's you're, no doubt about that. You're just are, telling me that if you take him, you strip technology Scott, out of it, if you strip technology out of it, we'd be having this conversation now. No, we wouldn't.
6: All I'm saying is that this is far broader than than's being presented and I think the idea is you have to actually look a little bit deeper and I think when you do that you're going to find how about the specific retail now you can go across and you look at different retail right retail if you have e-commerce as part of your retail and a big part of your retail you have done extremely well if not you're one of those that's unfortunately on the sideline, and in that category, you're talking about the bottom quartile or a half or whatever it is. So I think you just have to look at it that way, too, Scott. How about the fact that Walmart just hit new highs and Target just hit new highs but and that, Costco? Those are and not I representative. I understand.
1: Those are not representative of what's of retail. That, that's that's the the winners, the haves versus a large swath of have-nots in in the retail space. And, and,
6: and, oh, so you're telling me that the e-commerce names, the ones that ha- the ones that have a huge presence in e-commerce, they have not done well. Is that what you're telling me? Because I'm, that's I'm telling you, true. if you take you, out the, Costco the and retail Target,
1: names, Costco and Target and Walmart and Best Buy and Lulu, I'll give you Lulu. You, you're are you going to name like 10 others that are doing great? Because I, so I don't think you can. So, so you're going to I don't think I, you can. I, I well, can throw well, in
4: you, Dollar General. <laughs> <laughs> Dollar General is not, not are, an e-commerce play. Dollar Dollar General is hitting a new t- all-time high as well. I mean, you know, I I think the truth lies somewhere in between your position and Pete's position, which is that the market advance has been a lot broader. I don't look at Amazon as a tech stock. I look at it as a retail stock. I don't look at Google as a tech stock. I look at Google as an advertising stock that's geared to the consumer and small businesses. So it is much broader. The Home Builders, which is a very large position for me, has done quite well. So what we've defined is an average market averages and the averages some do well some do poorly and i think the ones that have really oppressive business models from the pandemic those are the ones that are doing poorly but the economy's doing okay in the new generation that we're seeing the digital economy liz
1: liz, liz young pete said and i'm quoting here you can't look too far into the future what is the mar? Is the market trading on the here and now, or is the market where it is because it's look to the future of the vaccine and a more stable reopening and a more prosperous reopening? What does the market reflect?
3: Look. What- The market trades on expectations more than it trades on events. So the market is always trading on some type of expectation unless it gets surprised and it has to change that expectation, in which case you usually see a correction. Right now, I think what's happening, and I want to build off of some of the stuff that Pete said, I don't think it's as narrow as we're saying either. I absolutely agree that some of those big tech names have driven the S&P returns. But the S&P isn't the only thing to invest in. If you look at the Russell 2000, and I know I talk about small cap all the time, I pound the table on it, but it's also endpoint dependent. The Russell 2000 is down year to date, but since March 23rd, it's actually outperformed the S&P. So it's not just about some of those big cap names. You have to really think about where are you along the market cap spectrum? Where are you along the actual sector names? Because as, as Steve pointed out, it's not all tech. When we talk about fang names, those aren't actually all tech names. So you can still have some diversification and expect some leadership from other places. As we move through fall, if we continue to increase tensions with China... Tech is exposed to China in both production and consumption. I would expect some of the wind to come out of the sales in those big tech names. But it's a pause, not a cancellation. Look, all, when the wind all, comes out of those sales, you get some of the other cyclical stocks to come into the forefront.
1: All I'm asking, Degas, is whether investors are too complacent about everything about whether it's what Liz just said about these tensions being ratcheted up with China, about the fact that the data suggests that the economy still has an awfully long way to go. And by the way, we're not that far at all from an election that could be kind of messy. So I'm just throwing out there to the group that even though you have positives to take stocks higher, like the Fed and whatever else you want to hang your hat on, there are still plenty of reasons to be somewhat cautious. And
5: that's where I want to have the, the, the conversation. Degas? Yeah, Scott. Yeah, Scott, you know, one one of the things, and I'll go back to something that Steve said, I think what's happening in this, we have a, a common thread as those companies are doing well. And so if you think about it, those companies are doing well, are online retailers, they're doing well. If you go to the consumer discretionary, if you look through the whole segment, you're going to see those companies that have been really hurt by this uh, COVID-19. So we're seeing more of a trend. And also as Liz pointed out, we're really looking at expectations. And I feel that the expectations based on our research is for looking where the economy is moving to. The economy is moving to digital more so than uh, stores. And we're seeing this really move quickly, more quicker than we ever anticipated. We're getting changes in the way people shop faster than any other time in the history of the consumer. So that's what I feel that we're seeing, that we're seeing a trend and that trend is towards greater digital use, and those companies that are in those places are doing well in this market.
1: Well, if there's
5: somebody who knows
1: about the disconnect between the stock market and the economy, it's our own Steve Leisman. He has some exclusive data today on just how bad Main Street is doing. Uh, Steve Leisman, are you there with me? Yeah, Scott. Uh, I asked ask you because the teleprompter wasn't moving, so I didn't know if we, uh, if, if we quite knew where we were at that moment. But I'm glad to see you. Um, it is a disconnect, right? And you have data that suggests that if you look at stocks making new highs, wow, there's pain out there on Main Street, Steve.
0: Yeah, I mean, what we're talking about is is really a nightmare on Main Street, Scott. And and they're they're disconnected and they're connected, which is I think I've been fascinated by this discussion. I think part of what's driving stocks is the idea that they may indeed be taking market share away from Main Street companies. Look at these uh, and and uh digas was talking about this these were trends scott that were already in place it was a winner take all economy more and more uh the the big tech companies were taking over uh from smaller smaller companies what's happened is is you've thrown uh you know gasoline on the fire that's what this pandemic has done uh and and there's one particular thing is what we find is that if you're a small company uh you are closing your doors at twice the rate that if you're a small a a larger company we have some uh, data that was calculated by cronus which does uh time shift, uh, work shift management uh, for, for uh, 3.2 million employees. And what they did is they disaggregated it by, old, by bigger than 500 and, and uh, less than 500 employees. And 10% of those companies have closed their doors, uh, just 4% of companies over 500. There's two distinguishing factors here that I think are on the table. Uh, one is being large has allowed you to adapt to this economy and the pandemic much better than smaller companies. Um, it's also been an issue of access to capital. Your stock is capital, your ability to access public debt markets is capital, uh, and that has been a big, big issue. You guys have reported, I'm sure, that Google has borrowed money at 0.75%. Well, if you can get a loan as a small business right now, it's 8 to 12% if you can get it. But capital is fleeing that small business area right now. You know, there's creative destruction, and it's worth talking about that, Scott. But you can have no creation if you have no capital, and all the capital is flowing to where you guys are talking about, where hopefully you've put your money and our viewers have put their money, which is the uh, tech stocks that have been able to take this market share away from Main Street. The question is whether or not over time there's underlying deterioration to the economy by what looks like about to happen to Main Street businesses.
1: Steve, uh, I appreciate you bringing that news to us. And, Josh, it sort of goes to the heart of our conversation, right? How long – can the, the, the broader view of where we are withstand the kind of pain and reality check that Leisman is just telling us about and that we know from our friends, neighbors and, and, and others that we've spoken to about the real pain that exists on Main Street?
2: Well, after the great financial crisis, it took like seven or eight years for the labor market to regain what it had lost. And I don't see any reason why we should think that this uh, will be very different. Um, and in some ways it might even be harder because there are entire industries that um, will not quite disappear, but fade away in terms of their capacity to take back old employees uh, and, and never mind the fact that they won't be creating new jobs. Um, that being said, the economy reinvents itself and people will eventually find employment. But that process is glacial. It's not month to month. Um, and that deterioration of business on, on Main Street that Steve describes, um, that can go one of two ways. We can get a vaccine and have a grand reopening of the whole economy, and it could feel miraculous and confidence can resume. Uh, That's one way things could play out, and that's the way that I'm rooting for, and I'm sure everyone on the show today shares that sentiment. The other way things could play out is all of a sudden Facebook comes out and says, hey, guys, you know what? We actually need these 30 million small businesses to keep buying ads on Facebook and Instagram, Um, and if they don't, we can't make our numbers and then all of a sudden, Apple selling, starts selling less phones. And then Google reports a, a slowdown in advertising among small and mid-sized companies. So that is the other way things can play out. That is the risk. Current valuations are not discounting that risk at all. Um, and so maybe that's a good thing that everyone's enthusiastic that we go the first way. I just quickly want to return to that conversation about breadth. Because I'm not presenting feelings or how I want things to be. I'm presenting what the facts are. We made a new all-time record high in the S&P 500 yesterday. It was very nice to see. But again, only 6% of individual components in the S&P made new highs at the same time. That ain't great. And I understand if you have a a watch list of stocks that are doing really well, and so you feel like things are better uh, than we're saying. But consider this. When we first made new highs in February and March, pre-pandemic, when you got that new high in the S&P, 90%. Ninety percent of S&P components were above a 200 day moving average right now. It's fifty nine percent and falling. So I don't think that we want to root for continued new highs being being pushed by 50 big stocks and then say, well, none of the rest of the stuff. Who cares? It'll be no, fine. They'll Pete, come along. Pete's when saying, a vaccine. But Pete's because saying that's saying that you're how you get a very story. fast correction. Pete Pete's saying you're not telling the whole story. What am I that- leaving out? I'm giving you market wide <clears throat> aggregated data. Pete's saying the rally is much broader than, than people out. like
1: you want to give it credit for.
2: But I'm giving you the data, so that's okay. He could feel that way. I'm just telling
1: you what the reality is. Pete.
6: Well, it's I'm not, not that misrepresenting I feel that way. all you have I, to do is. I'm
1: not misrepresenting no, your no, opinion, you did, Pete. You said it.
6: You you have to put the data on off. screen? What I said was the XLV is near its highs. The XBI and IBB just went to highs. The SMH had just hit highs. Those are huge indices in different broad areas. And then I brought up the home builders. That actually continued to move to the, to the highs as well. So when I said that, I didn't say necessarily a specific name is hitting a new high, and that's what the, the whole thing. What I said was broader pieces are actually moving higher. And in some cases, hitting all-time highs. Would you agree though? broader
2: move. Would you agree, yeah. though? Yeah. Would you let's take the home builders out because you're right about that. And that's actually yeah. one of the things that yeah. makes me most bullish right now. But let's remove that because honestly, it's like uh, 15 stocks and they're not that big. Pulling that out of the equation, right. go sector by sector. Would you agree with me that what's moving sectors like healthcare, for example, consumer discretionary, for example, to all time highs when you actually look through, it's like three or four stocks in each one of those sectors doing almost all of the work because that is a microcosm of what Steve is talking about um, economy-wide. It's a handful of big enterprises pushing the XLV, the XLY to those highs, and then there's a whole hell of a lot of have-nots beneath it that maybe don't get discussed on air, but there are many,
1: many hey, companies in look, that situation. Part of my point here is I'm not trying to suggest that the, the fangs or, or mega cap tech is, is not a place that, people should think about in investing. That's not for me to say anyway. I don't I don't I don't run any money. I don't I don't I don't. That's not what I do. I'm just trying to stimulate a conversation here. I'm not suggesting at any reason. I don't even why think are you that defending those, yourself? I, I don't think no, no. I don't even think that those stocks <laughs> are going to stop working. I'm just trying to bring all of this up in the context of why should people buy value stocks or epicenter stocks with all of the evidence that we presented off the very top of our program over the last 26 minutes, that, that Liz, the economy is, is not good, right? It's going to take a long time to get good. I'm not saying get out of right. the mega cap tech trade, the FANG trade. I'm simply asking why would, why would we give advice to people to get into the other side of the trade that Wall Street seems to be in love with because every note that comes out now says, hey, let's make a rotation. Make a rotation from tech to value, because that's where the money's going to be made.
3: Yeah, I, Scott, I don't, I, I think I don't know. Oh, I, don't want to do the I rotation directed that at Liz piece. first.
1: Sorry, Liz, go ahead. Sorry. I,
3: w- I wouldn't do a rotation right now out of tech into other places. I think there's still plenty of cash on the sidelines that can come into the market, look at the valuations and say, I would pay way too much for tech at, at this entry point, <clears> so I'm going to <throat> buy something else that should do better. Now, why should we tell them to buy something else? Because in a recovery situation, we're not recovered yet. That's completely true. The economy is not healthy yet. We just need the trend to keep moving in the right direction. So as long as the trend keeps moving in the right direction and we recover, what should happen is that the other sectors pick up some speed. And I know I've said that over and over again, but that's why you tell people to get in. I wouldn't tell people to get in if we're done with the recovery. That's, that's the top, right? So you want to get in as they can ride that up. I think the tech trade has already been ridden up pretty far. It doesn't mean it has to stop, but we're not gonna see it continue at the same clip, but other stuff should come in. And even Europe and parts of Asian emerging markets, there are other things to buy out there that might see a lot of upside from here through the end of the year, from here for the next six months.
1: So let me do this. Um, I wanna hear from Degas too, but I gotta hear from Deirdre Bosa. She has a news alert on Lyft, uh, whose shares are now at the lows of the day. Uh, Deirdre, what's happening?
7: Hey, travel. Lyft confirming in a blog post that it will be suspending its rideshare operations in California as of 11.59 Pacific time tonight, so just before midnight, and that is, of course, when that California ruling that we've been talking about for the last two weeks goes into effect and forces both Uber and Lyft to either classify its drivers as employees or risk further legal action. Both companies have been saying for about a week now that they – would likely shut off their operations. Lyft now confirming that it is preparing to do so. In the blog post, uh, the company says that this change, the change that the ruling necessitates would require an overhaul of the entire business model. It's not a switch that can be flipped overnight. Scott, I would say that that's true and not true. It would be an enormous undertaking to make these changes, but have to underline here, the writing has been on the wall for more than two years for these companies. AB5, that's the so-called gig economy bill, that became law back in January. Instead of complying, these companies, Uber and Lyft, have been fighting this law and culminating tonight when we are likely to see not just Lyft, but Uber, shut off operations. And the many, many ride-sharing drivers and passengers tomorrow will not have an option in Uber and Lyft to get around. Is, it,
1: is it, do you think, just a matter of time before Uber does the same thing?
7: I don't think it's a matter of time. I think it's a matter of hours. I think that they will make the same decision at midnight tonight and tomorrow. You will not be able to take an Uber or Lyft in California.
1: Wow, Dee Bosa, thank you for that uh, very much. A couple ways we can attack this. Number one, Pete. First, you bought calls in Lyft today.
6: Yeah, I'm not very. I'm not very. No, it was yesterday, but yesterday. I'm not very happy about those. Scott, absolutely, absolutely. The. That's frustrating. And, and maybe somebody did know something and maybe this was a hedge because the one thing about that's going on in the options market, I'll just give a real quick uh, understanding of it. Because volatility has come down so dramatically, we see far more opportunities in the, in the volatility world in terms of buying calls or puts. So somebody may have been hedging a position by selling stock and buying these out of the money calls, the ones that I bought thinking the stock was going up. This person on the other side of this might have a very nice trade in front of them with the stock dropping to be able to take advantage of that with that little bit of the hedge to the upside. But unfortunately, these options that I bought yesterday will probably go to zero pretty quick.
8: Yeah.
1: So, Josh, you own Uber. Um, You heard what Dee said. And on the back of this Lyft report, what do you make of it now?
2: This is a really interesting thing to behold. I think uh, part of their strategy, obviously, they can't just hire all these drivers. It's not feasible. Nobody could do that. So I think I have to believe part of their strategy is to see if they can get some kind of a grassroots campaign, either from users of these services, um, which will be hard to do because many of these people aren't leaving home anyway, um, but maybe from the drivers. And one of the things that Dara pointed out in his New York Times op-ed a week and a half ago was the need for us to come up with a third way for, employ- for employment. And so if you all of a sudden have reports in the media about thousands of drivers losing their income, I I can't see how that's going to reflect well on the political decision makers who have done this. Uh, Surveys of the drivers have said that while they do want increased benefits, they don't want to be employees. They don't want um, to have to report full time to a job. That's why they became drivers in the first place. So I think this will end in a negotiation Um, But this is definitely hardball stuff. And if Uber follows through and does the same thing, it'll be an even bigger story. Um, But one thing I would just point out, there are many drivers who work for both Lyft and Uber. So which one of these companies should be providing health care in that scenario? Um, So it's very interesting. We don't have a lot of frame of reference for how this could play out. But I do expect there's going to be a counter uh, move in the press as drivers start saying, what the hell? This is how I earn my living. What are you people doing? So well, st- stay tuned.
1: Does that say that you're, you're just sitting on the shares then? You're not, you're not going to do anything on the back of, of, of this Lyft deal? And then if Uber follows suit? No,
2: I'm an, I'm an investor. I, I bought Uber shortly after the IPO. I had the opportunity to buy it really cheap during the, the height of the crisis. Um, I, I don't really look at it day to day. Some days I'm up, some days I'm down on my average cost. But um, I, I think Eats is now bigger than Rideshare and Eats has nothing to do with this, I would point out. Um, the people driving delivery food are not part of this AB five challenge. Um, so I'm, I'm staying with it. And uh, I'm, I'm obviously watching because, again, it's it's a fascinating situation.
1: OK, um, thank you guys for that. Let's uh, let's welcome in our guest uh, for today. He is Rick Reeder. He is BlackRock's chief investment officer of global fixed income, overseeing more than two trillion dollars in assets. He's also the head of the global allocation team. Rick, it's good to see you again.
9: You too, Scott. Thanks
1: uh, for having me. I'm, I'm presuming that you heard our conversation leading up to you on sort of where we find ourselves um, within the market right now. And is it really as simple? I guess it is. Uh, just don't fight the Fed. And that just explains everything. And even though the data continues to come in weak on the economy, mm-hmm. from a stock investor standpoint, a market viewer, it just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm.
9: So, I mean, I, by the way, I think a lot of the points the whole panel made, but uh, Steve Leesman's comments are right. I mean, the economy, it's its bifurcating in a, in a significant way. And you think about what the Fed's job, we heard it yesterday in their minutes, the Fed's job is to is to be accommodative, as accommodative as possible. So they're going to keep interest rates down when they say not thinking about raising, thinking or thinking and thinking. Every time he's thinking, I think it's another year of keeping rates down. The Fed's got to keep doing that. And by the way, it's very hard for the Fed to initiate a, a, a tangible movement beyond what they've done in rates and putting liquidity in the system. You need the fiscal stimulus. So it's going to take some time. That being said, when you reduce the discount rate on assets, you know, I talk about, about this quite often, you reduce the discount rate and you keep the discount rate down for years. Not only do you, do you take when you do traditional net present, net present value analysis off a of free cash flow, you lift the valuations up significantly, but you also make the rest of the market uninvestable. The rates market is, the treasury market is uh, becomes largely uninvestable. Things like agency mortgages, quality assets. And then what you said earlier, I think somebody said on the panel, where companies can borrow today. If you're a company that can borrow at 50, 0.5%, and, uh, and you can do that and buy back your stock and do M&A and do CapEx, you create what is a pretty big lift for these companies. And that's uh, not not lift the, the company you're talking about, but it, it does mm. create uh, it creates real valuation. Uh, and uh, and that's what's happening. And I think it will continue to happen. Do,
1: do you think the move higher recently in rates, Rick, was is a head fake um, simply because if you listen to the Fed yesterday and you take into account where claims came in today and just where the real economy is and the report. With this exclusive data that our own Steve Leisman delivered to us today on the incredible pain um, on Main Street, is it is it only a matter of time before rates start to move lower, maybe back to towards 50 or who knows, even under?
9: You know, I tell you, they, so there, there are different parts of the yield curve. I mean, the two-year note is at 13, 14 basis points. It's not interesting. It's not going anywhere for uh, for an extended period of time. The whole front end where the Fed controls directly, that's not going anywhere for a long time. Then you go further out the curve. What the Fed is trying to create is more inflation. They're trying to create, I would say, more pricing power in the uh, and more more expectation or more confidence in pricing expectations going forward. So that means you can have long rates that can back up somewhat. So there's a push-pull, particularly in the 30-year part of the curve, about how much inflation is coming and what is fair value. Listen, I think the 10-year note is going to be stuck in this range of 50 to 80, 85 basis points for a while and I quite frankly think all the action in the Treasury market is you trade those ranges. And, uh, you know, when it cheapens up, you buy it. And otherwise, because like you said, the Fed's not going anywhere for for a long time.
1: But, but yet you think the market, the stock market, which hit a new high this week, is ahead of itself? Or is it right where it should be, given all of the factors with the Fed that you have noted?
9: So, first of all, I don't think the I don't think the stock market is the economy. I'm going to say flat out, I think when you break down free cash flow generation, and you think about the structural dynamics, I know we've talked about it on this show. When you think about where the job losses come in places like restaurants, airlines, et cetera, there's their market cap as a percent of the equity market is just is is tiny and it's about a quarter to thirty percent or so of the job loss in the country. So I think the equity market, you're taking the we are and quite frankly, and the whole discussion you had around breath, I think is is completely fair on both sides. There's free there's real free cash flow generation coming, not just in tech but I think in healthcare as Pete was saying definitely in parts of in home builders I mean the housing market I think the home builder optimism was the highest it's been in uh, since 1998 pretty powerful and it's not just home building it's everything you look at home improvement you look at everything around the housing sector the economy is generally when you take parts of the economy it's actually operating pretty well and the stim- we need more stimulus as the Fed has described the economy is actually not doing that badly but like you were describing earlier, which is fair. there are parts of the economy that are stressed today and and that but that's going to leave the Fed where they where they are for a while. So you know net net do I think the equity market is I think it's still going higher? I yeah. think the I think the alternative asset suite is such that equities become when you take free cash flow yield to the equity market and and again, it's not in every company as you've described, but that ch- in, in aggregate, it's still more attractive than most things that, that you could buy today.
1: So if the equity market's going higher, um, and as the head of the global allocation team, right, you, you're overseeing two trillion dollars. I mean, you know, it's not chump change. Do, do you yeah. do you and, you and I know you're a believer in tech from what you said. Do you think that yeah. this value trade is worthy of either making a rotation into or starting to just put money into or just stay with what's worked for the obvious reasons of no. why it has?
9: So I don't. I personally, I don't really understand the value trade. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I think it's. I think it's growth or not growing. And uh, but I do understand there. There's a part of the value trade that is a cyclical trade, and that I actually do believe in. I do think you're getting. You will get some cyclical improvement. I think it was Liz who said it. I think that's right. I think the markets do a pretty good job of anticipating. There's some cyclical movement. You see it in manufacturing when you look at new orders. A little softer today, but the new orders data is pretty good. So I do think there's a cyclical mo- rotation. And I think you could debate for a while big tech, the valuations, they're not cheap at a, for sure. Um, but I, and so do you get more into cyclical? But the whole concept, do I buy old industries, tired businesses, because they're cheaper for a period of time? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, just, not, I'm just not a believer in that. I'd rather be in growth and I'd rather be in, you know, quite frankly, today, a bit more in cyclicals um, and, and run the portfolio that way.
1: All right. Appreciate it. As always, Rick Reeder, good to get your insights today. Thank you. Thanks. That's BlackRock's Rick Reader for us today. Thanks. Up next, we have an upgrade for a Josh Brown favorite. The stock's been hit hard over the last six months, down 30%. One firm now says it's time to jump in. That's our mystery chart. We're going to debate it straight ahead. We're back in two minutes.
2: Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com.
1: Welcome back. President Trump's former advisor, Steve Bannon, is set to appear in court on fraud charges. Our Eamon Javers is here with us with the very latest. Eamon.
8: Yes, yeah, Scott, the allegation here is that Steve Bannon and three other men defrauded donors to a nonprofit that began as a GoFundMe campaign called We Build the Wall. The idea was they were going to raise money to build a privately funded wall between the United States and Mexico, and what the government is alleging here is that a lot of that money ended up in the pockets of the men who were indicted today. Uh, we do expect Bannon to plead not guilty later today. Uh, we'll wait and see that development, uh, and meanwhile, uh, we do know a little bit more about what happened in the arrest here. Bannon was taken into custody on board a 150-foot yacht that was off the coast of Connecticut in the Long Island Sound. Apparently, uh, Coast Guard and Postal Service inspectors taking part in that arrest uh, at sea, so to speak, uh, today. So dramatic moment there. At the White House, uh, the president distancing himself from the man widely considered to be the intellectual father of Trumpism itself during the campaign uh, and in the early days of the Trump White House. Here's what the president said.
5: I feel very badly. I haven't been dealing with him for a long period of time, as most of the people in this room know. Uh, He was involved in our campaign. He worked for Goldman Sachs. He worked worked for a lot of companies, but he was involved likewise in our campaign and uh, for a small part of the administration very early on. I haven't been dealing with him at all. Uh, I know nothing about the project other than I didn't like when I read about it, I didn't like it.
8: And to that point, Scott, the White House has been pointing to some publicly made comments by the president uh, that he was uh, against the idea of a private-funded wall on the Mexican border, suggesting that this was simply too complicated and needed to be a U.S. government project. Scott, back over to you. But
1: Eamon, that's not what um, a staunch supporter of the president, Chris Kobach, who also happens to be the general counsel of this project, told the New York Times in january of 2019 right. and i'm wondering how that has to be reconciled in an interview with the times at that time mr kobach said and i'm quoting here from his interview i talked with the president and the quote we build the wall uh, effort came up the president said the project has my blessing and you can tell the media that but you just said and we just heard the president say i know nothing about
8: that project i don't know the people involved right it's difficult to square those two things it certainly seemed as if this was a project that had the imprimatur of the president and the Trump family to some extent, because Donald Trump Jr. uh, was linked to fundraising efforts uh, around this. But uh, the president here today distancing himself from Steve Bannon uh, and suggesting he didn't know anything about it and thought it was a bad idea to the extent he did know anything about it. Uh, We'll see what Bannon has to say later on in the day. And and there's some more details here, I think, that we need to look for today uh, in terms of this investigation. Uh, Bannon was taken into custody on board a 150-foot yacht. That is a big boat uh, in the Long Island Sound. Uh, We're waiting to see who the owner of the Lady May uh, is uh, and who may have been uh, allowing Bannon to to operate from that yacht uh, over the past several months. And so we might find out more detail when we see some of the court filings uh, later on in the day today, Scott. So maybe more uh, layers of this onion to unpeel. Appreciate that, Uh, Eamon. We'll look for that, I think, in the one o'clock
1: hour. That's Eamon Jarvis for us. Uh, down in the D.C. area. Now let's get to Sue Herrera, who has the other headlines for us. Hi, Sue.
7: I do. Hello, Scott. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. The Justice Department is asking the Supreme Court to review a lower court's order that President Trump unblocked critics from his Twitter feed. One woman is dead, a man and a child injured after the car they were in collided with two light rail trains in Baltimore. One train operator was also taken to a hospital. And after closing due to the COVID-19 pandemic, New York City's 9-11 Museum is set to reopen appropriately on September 11th. When it does reopen, it will be reserved for families of those killed in the 2001 and 1993 terror attacks. You're up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you.
1: Okay, Sue, appreciate that. That's Sue Herrera for us. A big upgrade for a Josh Brown favorite. Rahel Solomon has those details. Hey Rahel.
3: Hi Scott, yeah. So this is a long-term growth play. Shake Shack was already a growth story pre-COVID, but Wedbush saying that it's even more attractive. Post COVID, so part of the reason they're upgrading Shake Shack to outperform from neutral and raising the price target to 77 bucks from 53. So analyst Scott like the digital investments that management has been making. They believe that the initial company forecast of 450 stores by 2027. They say that's now conservative. So the company is now rolling out these Shack tracks. This is a rendering where you can walk up and pick up an order or use a drive-through. So Whitbush expects that this new model to add about four or five years of outsized growth. And speaking of growth, Shake Shack just opened its first location in Beijing. Take a look at this line. About 200 people waited in line for it to open its store. So, Scott, apparently demand is very strong. It is not just Josh Brown.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. Rahel, thank you. Uh, Josh, you know, look, we, we discussed uh, the position you have in, the, in this stock uh, a week or so ago and, and how you mentioned, you know, obviously the pandemic has been very difficult for this company. But w- what do you make of the call Um, In the context of all of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is undoubtedly one of the big losers in its category from the pandemic. And a lot of the reason for that is the the model of how they've opened up stores. They've looked for high uh, foot traffic places in tourist locations. um, And there's obviously none of that happening right now. And that won't return until there's there's a vaccine and a general reopening. So that's why this stock had been punished and continues to stay down. I would still point out investors are giving it the benefit of the doubt. There's still 150 times earnings or whatever it is. Um, so it's not cheap. But what I would say is a lot of the things they had to do long term anyway have been accelerated. So the tech spend, the the app spend, all of that is working. Um, and they had to do it in the long run anyway, because that's what all the best companies in this sector have done. Um, and drive-thrus, which we won't see any until 2021, but... They're accelerating that, and many of the stores will be drive throughs So, look, you have to be patient, and this depends on what kind of investor you are. If you're someone that wants to be in what's working right now, you're not in Shake Shack. You're in Chipotle because all of the things Shack has to invest in now, Chipotle already has done. Um, so if, if, if that's what you're looking for, that's the kind of stock you're in. But if you're patient, you recognize this is a $2.3 billion enterprise value, They could have 450 locations, and that could be conservative. They could have more. So that's the way I look at it. I'm in it. I'm not expecting big things. If the analyst is right and it gets to 77, I'll be very happy. But that's not my current expectation for for the next 12 months.
1: I got it. All right. Coming up, Pete's tracking unusual activity in the options market, as always, has new trades for you, and they're coming up next. It's time for the futures outlook. Take a look at oil. It's coming off the morning lows. It's still down. There you go. More than one percent today on fears of a prolonged recovery, what that could do to demand. Uh, It's mostly range bound over the last month. And let's bring in uh, Bill Baruch right now with uh, the trade on that. He, of course, with Blue Line Futures. Bill, where do you see it going? Well, U.S. crude exports have bounced back over the past week, couple weeks, uh, last few weeks. And um, you know, that's been one of the big narratives. And, and then as well, coming out of the weekend, we hear that China wants to uh, increase U.S. exports. The weaker U.S. dollar makes those exports more attractive. However, the the data yesterday showed those exports fell just a bit from the previous week. And that threw a little cold water over the market. Big resistance up there on March 6th, but the, uh, from the March 6th close. But ultimately, the trend is higher. And for a trade here, uh, for, through the end of the week, looking at it, buying 42 and a quarter with a risk stop down to 41 and a quarter and i uh, would like to see a target up there at 43 and a quarter now sizing this trade i'm using the mini contract per one mini contract per 25 dollars. so uh size that as you're as you're looking at your account size all right appreciate it bill thanks we'll talk to you soon that's bill baruch coming up we have some trader moves to talk about we need to talk about nvidia as well with josh unusual activity all that and final trades are straight ahead All right, welcome back. Pete, it's all yours. Unusual. We're starting with Merck.
6: All right, I'm going to start with Merck. That one's pretty interesting. And both of these, by the way, just as I talked about earlier in the show, are very, very short term. So this is these expire not this Friday but the following Friday. So it's a one-week-out option. And, Scott, what they're buying is – The 87 strike call, stock was trading just below 85. These are very inexpensive, but the stock's going to have to make a move very rapidly of a couple of dollars. But these things were going for 24 cents, so I like the risk reward that I saw in that one. The next one's also in healthcare. it's going to be Bausch. Now Bausch, same thing, they're going out one week, and they bought 7,500 of the 17 calls. They paid about 45 cents for those calls as well. Stock was just below 17. I like both these names. I think they they can make that kind of move in the short period of time that they've got to make these options work to the upside. Either way, I've only got one week to be able to hold these.
1: All right, good stuff there. And while I have you, uh, you do have a new buy that I wanted to get to, uh, BJ's Wholesale Club.
6: Yeah, when I looked at those, no, your earnings numbers, and then I started looking into the company a little bit deeper. I mean, their numbers that they put up actually looked a lot like Target. Their digital sales were up 300%. The company absolutely knocked it out of the park. And then when I looked at where the PE levels were that, for this company, it's really low. I mean, compare it to a Costco or some of the other names, I realize much smaller. So I think there is some potential for this stock to maybe break out to the upside. I bought that stock today. I, I, I think I've, I'll probably hold this for quite a while and just try to sell calls against it if I can generate enough income because there is no dividend yield on this stock
1: stock moving up a little bit there. Pete, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Steve Weiss, you have a new Thanks, buy man. as well, and it is Domino's.
4: Domino's traded at an all time high after another great quarter. I don't like buying companies don't like buying companies at their highs, but they haven't missed their earnings guidance since 2012 highly fragmented market, substantially cheaper than Chipotle, and an asset light company that's doing quite well in the pandemic without eating locations. I think it goes a lot higher.
1: Okay. Before we go, Digas, we haven't talked about NVIDIA yet and their quarter. I'd like to get your take and then Josh's quickly, if we could. But you start us
5: off, please. Yeah. So NVIDIA had a blowout quarter. Uh, the first time over that the data center um, chips actually brought in more revenue than the gaming, 175 compared to $1.65 billion, a a huge difference there. And what NVIDIA is doing, they're seeing the growth in the AI relative to data centers. So great buy. We're glad that we're holding for our our, our clients. Josh, why the stock
1: reaction then? Just because it's run up so much into the number?
2: It's the best performing stock in the S&P 500 this year company basically is set up for 20 percent top line growth and uh, 70 to 80 percent gross margins for as far as the analyst's eyes can see. I'm not sure what else anyone would want from, out of a stock. Um, but if you want more than what NVIDIA has given you, uh,
1: good, good luck. Maybe lottery ticket. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. All right. Uh, let's do some final trades. Liz Young, nice to see you today. You start uh, us off, please.
3: Nice to be back. Transportation stocks is a recovery play.
5: Okay. Degas? Real estate stock. Equinex, 210 green data centers doing a great job using renewable energy at those centers. Okay. Steve Weiss, what do you have for us?
4: Keysight. Report tonight after the close. I think they'll have a
1: great quarter. Josh Brown? J.P. Morgan back under 100. I like it here. Because anytime time it's gotten under here, it's had a pretty good run of getting back above 100. I mean, I remember you saying that on so many different occasions. Uh, we'll see that one. All right, Pete, last but certainly not least, what do you have for us? I'm going to give you C.H. Robinson. It's
6: a local company, Eden Prairie. It's a logistics. It's a great company, and I think they're going higher. We saw some call buying to the upside for right. September.
1: Good to see everybody. Thanks for watching. The- You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
2: If a
5: friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is,
3: I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang
1: it in there.
2: Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak.
4: Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you
1: don't have to hide how you feel